welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This is episode number 130 of the podcast, and I'm recording this on Wednesday, April 29th of 2020. Uh, Most of you are probably listening to this at home or not in your normal environment. We're still dealing with the challenges of social distancing. I'm pleased to say, though, that it looks like a lot of businesses are starting to see some sort of improvement, at least in terms of search traffic, which usually means that you're starting to see a little bit more income coming in. We've had a great number of clients that are seeing some nice improvements. And across many, many different verticals, uh, when I've done this in the the last few weeks, we've been able to say, all right, you know, the sites that are thriving now are sites that sell face masks or hand sanitizer or maybe gardening sites. Um, And now we're seeing it across a a great number of websites. It was too much for us to try to classify and to try to uh, figure out exactly what's happening. We saw a number of websites that saw changes in their Google organic traffic on or around April 23rd of 2020. Um, And initially, I wondered if this was maybe a Google update, but their traffic changes are also reflected in Bing. um, And it really seems to be that uh, this is not a Google update, but rather the world is starting to get back to searching for things, uh, to get back to, uh, I don't want to say life as normal, but... um, you know, we had a really excellent discussion on uh, what we do every week with my team on what is Google doing? Uh, what do we think is happening? And some of my team had some very uh, good observations um, that I agree with completely where, you know, for the first couple of weeks where we were hit with the idea of a global pandemic, most of my search habits were related to figuring out uh, what's going on with the virus, what's happening in other parts of the world, like what's happening with the economy. Um, And my search habits changed drastically. And now I'm not as obsessed with figuring out the latest bits of news on coronavirus. I'm still very interested in in what's happening, but I'm sort of getting back to some sense of normalcy. And I think that I'm not the only one that that's happening to. So uh, we were very happy to see that a large number of our clients are starting to get some traffic back. Many, many of them are still very uh, down in terms of traffic as compared to prior to all of this coronavirus stuff. I've mentioned this in in the past few episodes, but your traffic probably took a drop around March 10th. March 10th was the day on which the World Health Organization classified this virus as a global pandemic, um, and the world drastically changed their habits at that point. So we don't really have much in newsletter in terms of uh, algorithm updates. Um, I think, you know, we did put some time into trying to assess whether Google was doing something, but at this time, it seems that it's more changes in searcher behavior than uh, something significant on Google's side. Um, let's move on to some some news here. Google Search Console announced some changes, which are minor, but make me very happy. Uh, one of the things that they added was there's now a copy to clipboard button uh, alongside the the icons that you see on a URL in Search Console. Uh, and so in the past, you really only had two options. One was to inspect a URL and the other was to open up the page. Uh, but sometimes you want to copy that URL, especially if you're writing a report. Um, you know, and, and so in the past, we had to open up the page, wait for the browser to load it, 
then copy the URL and then put that into our reports. So this is something that will save you a few seconds of time, probably, and it seems to be making a lot of people happy that we can now directly copy URLs from Search Console into our clipboards. Brody Clark noticed that there are some new types of schema that are now producing results in the search results. Um, one of the examples that he gave was a uh, result from PC Magazine, an article that they had. And in the search results, there's a little box that says on this page and you can click on it and it says 15 steps. Uh, and he believes that this was implemented. Uh, PC Mag put, P, uh, put how-to schema on their page. We've got more in newsletter, uh, a link to a Google Doc, uh, Google document, not a Google Doc, but a document from Google on how to do this, how to implement how-to schema. Um, and so that's something that I think, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about schema later on in this uh, this talk here. But um, but yeah, that's an interesting thing to take note of. Uh, here's an interesting discussion on Twitter. Uh, somebody was asking John Mueller whether um, linking, let me read this out here. Uh, it was from Navdeep Sony. Uh, he says, say I have a cluster or category of Asian food with all Asian recipes under the same category. Now for Mexican food category, would it hurt or benefit linking to any article in the Asian food category? Um, and or should I stay to interlinking articles only within the category? So what I believe he's asking here is about siloing and siloing is something that is it, it's been controversial in SEO for a while uh, because uh, there's pros and cons to siloing. So the way I understand it is uh, that you have content silos, right? So in the example that Navdeep gave here, um, he was saying that, uh, you know, there's one category that's Mexican food on his website and one that is Asian food. Should the Mexican food recipes ever link to the Asian food recipes? Um, to me, it's kind of a no-brainer. Like, and I mean, John Mueller responded with, why would someone artificially limit the interlinking between the different types of content? I'll tell you why I brought this up for podcast. A couple of years ago, yeah, maybe it was last year, it was like not too long ago, I was at PubCon in Vegas and I heard a talk by Bruce Clay. Now, we haven't heard a lot from Bruce uh, recently in the industry, but Bruce, you know, for quite a while, for those of you who are new to SEO, um, is known as an authority in SEO. And this, this guy knows his stuff. Um, and he talks a lot about content siloing. And the whole idea, he, he showed some case studies where uh, they specifically made, so in this example, there would be um, one silo is Mexican food and another silo is Asian food. And what he was saying is that you don't want to link in between these and in doing so and only interlinking um, from within the silo itself so Mexican food posts would only link to other Mexican food posts that this uh, sort of strengthened Google's understanding of the topic and he has case studies they're very very convincing of sites that saw massive improvements in ranking after restructuring and doing this type of internal linking we actually when my team and i were in this talk we spent quite a bit of time after that talking about whether we should actually be doing uh this type of internal linking um and not linking internally between silos and it it, it didn't really make sense to me and i think this is this is no um Gosh, this is not to say that Bruce is wrong. I think that um, 
I just have a different viewpoint on it. I think probably what's happening here is there is value in making, I don't know if silos is the right word. Uh, we like to use content hubs uh, as, a, as a phrase. Um, so again, in this case, you should have, uh, if you've got enough content to say like, hey, we've got all this stuff on Mexican food and we have all this stuff on Asian food, uh, enough that we can create content hubs. And the idea would be that, uh, you know, you have one post on, here's what is awesome about Mexican food. Here's why we're qualified to write on this. And here are our favorite recipes. Um, and, you know, a hub where uh, it, it, it's just the source of everything you know about Mexican food. And then you have these spokes that are all your different articles on Mexican food. And each of those link back to the main hub post on Mexican food. Um, doing that can have great effects. If you we worked with a client uh, it was near the end of last year. Uh, to do this very same thing with their content, uh, where we divided it into categories, hub pages. I don't know if you want to call it silos. Um, and just made it more clear to Google and also to users that like, look, you're looking for information on this particular part of our niche. Here's everything we have on it, along with links to other posts we've written on it. Um, and I think that doing that, improving that structure can really help. So this particular client that we did this for saw incredible gains within uh, with just a couple of weeks of, um, of doing these changes. Uh, and it takes some time to reorganize your content in this way. But for our client, we didn't restrict internal linking to just those silos. Um, and so what I'm trying to say is I think that the organization of content can really, really help. Uh, but there's really no reason, as far as I can see, to restrict internal linking. Um, so if I have a, a, a post in my Mexican food section, um, which talks about something that you might find interesting in the Asian food section, I have no problem with linking properly to that. So I think this is something that it would be good to have discussion on in the future. Um, and the main point that I want to say here is even though John's saying, you know, why would somebody artificially limit the interlinking between different kinds of content? He's not saying that it's wrong to create content hubs. Um, in fact, I think that that's something that is very beneficial for a lot of websites. Uh, we have a really interesting uh, tweet thread in newsletter from Ross Hudgens, who was talking about some ways to use Google Trends for SEO projections. Uh, he says, in new and emerging markets, if you look at trends and see a growth pattern, it's reasonable to extrapolate that growth rate out 12 months if you're still early in the cycle and trying to understand the market. So he gives an example of looking at Google Trends for the words uh, digital transformation. And uh, you can see uh, that there's this graph of the, the trends are just the interest in that particular topic is continuing to improve over time. Uh, and that can sort of uh, you can extrapolate and say, well, it's very unlikely that it's just going to suddenly drop off and um, become nothing. And so, yes, this would be a good area to produce content. in. I, I've seen a lot of people making more use of Google Trends. We have a, a good example in um report that we're just sending off to a client right now where uh, the, the client was um, trying to figure out why uh, whether they were seeing improvements in their website or not 
And uh, what my staff, what one of my auditors was doing was saying, well, look, if you look at Google Trends, you can see that the search volume for, uh, you know, the interest in this particular topic over time has skyrocketed. Uh, and so, yes, there are going to be more people looking for that. Now, yes, you can get that sort of information from Search Console as well. Uh, but seeing what the general trend of what people are searching for over, uh, you know, a time period of a couple of years is, is really quite interesting. So because if you see in Search Console that your, let's say your impressions have gone up 100% for a particular search term, it, it doesn't really tell you, it, does that mean that there's increased search volume for it? I mean, maybe one of your competitors shut down their website, or maybe you just uh, moved from ranking position number three to position number one, and that's going to greatly um, change the number of clicks, at least, that are coming to your website. So maybe not necessarily impressions. I think you see what I'm saying here. There's there's a lot that can be done with Google Trends, and I think in a lot of cases, uh, we don't use it to its full extent. Um, just a reminder here again about HTTP versus HTTPS. There was a tweet by Ashley Berman Hale uh, who said um, she's seen more examples of secure HTTPS sites flagged as not secure uh, due to non-secure images being present. Uh, so you were, we were supposed to have an update to Chrome that should have been live now that actually will make that happen uh, automatically. That is, people go to your website. If you have images that are hosted on HTTP websites and your website is HTTPS, that's going to cause your website to be seen as not secure. Um, according to Ashley, uh, the delay for the Chrome um, version that's going to actually address this, uh, the Chrome will be out in mid-July. Uh, apparently. So you really, really want to fix this. There's a lot of websites. I see this a lot with YouTube videos. If you have had your website around since before HTTPS was a really big deal uh, and you embedded videos from YouTube or linked to videos from YouTube, uh, more of the embed is really the issue, then um, uh, back before HTTPS was an issue or a thing, then you would see lots and lots of links and embeds using the HTTP code. Uh, so um, you really should be going back uh, through all of the pages of your website and figuring out, in most cases, fixing that is super easy. You just add an S <laughs> to the code uh, to make an HTTPS. Not, not all images are that easy to, um, to find the secure version to, to uh, include, but this is something that's very, very important. Um, here's another interesting question that uh, Vicky Jane asked of John Mueller on Twitter. Um, when you request to index a page on Search Console, does it matter if it's done by the account or admin owner, or can any user do that? Now, um, what he's talking about here, I believe, is the submit to index. Uh, so if you're in Search Console and you want to ask Google to re-index a page, you can do that. Uh, but according to John Mueller, only the owner can submit a URL for indexing. Um, I, you know, I don't think I actually knew that. Uh, and I, I'm thinking now, I've had several cases where I've been trying to submit something for a client and I can't figure out 
where it is. <laughs> and I think it's because in some cases we're not added as owners. Uh, and so that makes sense. So if you're trying to find the submit to uh, index button and you can't find it, it might be that you don't have the right level of ownership. However, John went on to say, for what it's worth, you almost never need to use the URL submission tool. If you find yourself using it more than a handful of times, I'd work to improve the website overall. So when do I use the URL submission tool? The most common use of it for me, uh, well, there's two reasons I would say that I use it. One would be if there's incorrect information that got uh, indexed by Google that is dangerous to be indexed by Google. Uh, I'm trying to think of an exact example. I, I Maybe dangerous is the wrong word, but there have been cases where I published something and went, oh, you know what? Maybe that wasn't quite right. And I made changes and I didn't want my... Um, old version to be in the index because it was bad information or it was just wrong. And so sometimes submitting in Search Console can be a way to quickly get Google to recrawl that page and cache it so that it's the new version that people are seeing and not the old incorrect information. The other reason to use this tool is to test um, our implementation of changes to try to win featured snippets. Now, this is a little trick that you can only use once. <laughs> uh, and I'll see if I can explain what I mean here. Um, we've talked a lot in the past about trying to win featured snippets, and uh, it, it can be challenging because Google's criteria for what they use to pick as the featured snippet, it changes drastically. Uh, but let's say I was doing some research and I was trying to win a featured snippet for a client, and I noticed that the current featured snippet is made up of a post that contains a list. Um, and so the featured snippet, maybe the query was how to do X. And the featured snippet has, here's a list of 10 things you can do. And maybe my client does not have a list on their page. And instead, what they've got is a paragraph, which I may think is better, but for whatever reason, Google is preferring to see a list. So what I might do is go in and reorganize my client's information that was in the form of a paragraph and make that in the form of a bulleted list. Now, here's where the submission tool comes in, is you can... Um, submit the, the, the page. So let's say I made those changes. I can submit the page to Google. And it's amazing sometimes how quickly Google revisits that page. And sometimes in between the time it takes for me to submit it to Google and open up a new browser window and do the search again, the changes have already been reflected. We've had things where we've made changes like that, like you know, adding a list, changing a header, uh, a heading, um, uh, uh, just adding a few words to make a, an answer, um, something that Google would be happier to include as their answer in a featured snippet. And then you can submit the page to Google and almost instantly see if you've won the featured snippet. But the thing is, let's say I didn't win it, um, or let's say I noticed like, oh, my list is there, but I made a typo or, you know, something silly like that. And I want to make some more changes and experiment some more. If I ask Google again to revisit the page and submit it to the index, it doesn't 
work that way. And it's like they've got a, a delay built in there to say, well, no, no, we're not going to just be at your beck and call and come back and re-index your page every time you've made a tiny little change. Uh, it seems to only work once. I don't know if it's a 24-hour cooldown, but if we go back at it the next day, sometimes it does work fast again. So I thought that was uh, something that might help a few people. Winning featured snippets is kind of fun to do. So uh, that, that's uh, if you're you know looking for a fun project to help um, your business or your clients, it's fun to just look. You, you can look in. Uh, I have a whole article. Actually, it was episode one. Was it one? When I first started publishing newsletter on my website as opposed to just like, hey, I'll tell you if Penguin updated. Uh, my very first um, uh, published newsletter was talking about how to win featured snippets. And although it's a little bit dated now, uh, there's good stuff in there that can help you to, to do that. And it feels really good when you, uh, when you, uh, you know, do a search query and you see like, wow, I made those changes and now we have the featured snippet. I kind of like uh, seeing that kind of thing. There's a really cool tip in um, newsletter on uh, you can very easily use some HTML and CSS to show a different image for users who are in dark mode. Uh, I, I've been using dark mode on my phone. It's a lot easier on your eyes. Uh, but sometimes what happens is you go to certain websites and the background's all dark, but there's like this white bright image, uh, which sort of defeats the purpose of dark mode. So um, I'm no expert in CSS. I remember years ago, spending days and days trying to get divs to line up next to each other. And um, uh, I'm very thankful that I moved on to just do more of SEO and not trying to understand CSS as a career because it's uh, it's challenging. Um, so kudos to you who, uh, who do that on a regular basis. Somebody asked in a Google Help Hangout whether hreflang can help you rank better. This question comes up from time to time, and the answer is always no. I, I thought I would improve this, uh, improve this, include this in newsletter because people often uh, get confused on this. So hreflang is a way of basically saying to Google, uh, "Hey, we've got this content in English, German, Spanish, and French, and um, you know uh, the main version is here." And let's say a German visitor comes to our, uh, wants to visit or wants to read this content. Here's the German version that this person might want to read. Uh, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the post is going to rank better in Germany or for German searches. Uh, it just helps Google to figure out um, which piece of your, I don't want to say duplicate, but your alternate versions, alternate language versions, they uh, should present to a user. Um, oh, yes, let's talk about this. There have been Google told us about this uh, change to search console data that I feel like it didn't really get a lot of coverage. Um, and it's worth mentioning because you might notice that something's a little bit off in some of your search console data. Um, so they said that there was uh, some missing data. We've had this throughout the years. And what they've done, there's missing data uh, throughout most of April. Uh, but not in the performance uh, reports. So that's more uh, the reports that talk about mobile usability, the rich results tool, your AMP reports, your speed, page speed reports. Um, and what Google said is 
these reports have been changed to cover a smaller number of pages in order to provide better performance in Search Console. Because of this, you might see a decrease in the number of items and pages tracked in these reports. This change does not affect a search, search results, only the data reporting in Search Console. So we, uh, I had my team look into what was happening with our clients, and we have a few clients that um, uh, at some point in April are seeing about 5 to 10% fewer reported pages in, for example, the mobile usability tool. Uh, same with the rich results tests. Um, apparently, if there are dates uh, where Google dropped out a bunch of data, uh, they will... Um, Oh, no, wait, that's a separate thing. So yes, so five to 10% fewer reported pages for most of our clients or some of our clients that have been affected by this. The second thing that, uh, that Google noted, and this is between April 9th and April 25th, is that there was a serious outage that um, affected, uh, again, all reports except the performance report. Uh, and a lot of reports have missing data. But what they've done is if you've had missing data for an entire day, they actually replaced that data with the stuff from April 26th. I, that doesn't make sense to me. Search Console, I'm going to read it out here. April 9th to 25th, 2019, Search Console experienced a data outage that ceased on April 26th. The outage affected all reports except the performance report. All missing data from April 9th to 25th was replaced with the data from April 26th when data began to be available again. And I'm very aware right now of the fact that I'm saying data and not data. I've talked about that before. I tried to change and I can't do it. Apparently both are right, so just deal with it. Um, so I don't know why Google would take information from April 26 and put it in on another date that doesn't make sense. But so if you're trying to make sense of some of these reports and it's not making sense, maybe that will explain what's going on. Uh, those of you who use Shopify, there's now more integration that you can use with Cloudflare. And this is really exciting because Cloudflare can help you do some things with Shopify that normally you couldn't. Uh, so now you can stack um, some certain Cloudflare integrations. Uh, let's see here. There's a good article on Search Engine Journal on this, but there's things that you can do now that you couldn't before, such as modifying your robots.txt file, uh, changing Shopify's URL structure, um, and, and other things. Hreflang is another thing as well. So if you run a Shopify site, this is something that's worth looking at uh, because sometimes they're, I mean, Shopify, I think is a, is a good platform for, uh, for some people, uh, but it does have some limitations sometimes. Um, let's talk a little bit about local SEO. Uh, again, Sterling Sky, uh, Joy Hawkins company, who does tons of local SEO, has provided us with a bunch of this information uh, as they are the experts on this. And so uh, thank you for that uh, information that you've given us. Um, they noted that there was some flux in terms of rankings, really uh, nothing crazy to talk about. Um, they did notice that most of the fluctuation was in categories uh, bars and pubs car dealerships, locksmiths, restaurants, and cafes, uh, which might be related to, um, you know, some parts of the world, they're starting to reopen. Uh, you know, I know some of the southern states have allowed some restaurants to reopen and, and things like that. So I'm thinking that's probably connected. 
Um, Mike Blumenthal also reported on the Gather Up blog that uh, he's starting to see Q&A returning to some of the local knowledge panels uh, only on a few categories. And uh, I believe he's saying it's mostly just retail and restaurant. So I think Google stopped um, allowing Q&As because they they were just loaded with people complaining about being closed, um, you know, for businesses that were out or reasons that were outside of the business's control. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if you monitor your Q&A, uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, if those are starting to come back for you. Wanted to mention that Moz launched a uh, keyword research master guide, something written by Cyrus Shepard. I would highly recommend it. I have to be honest, I haven't read it yet, but everything that Cyrus produces is amazing. Um, We commonly refer clients to, uh, he's got an excellent post on writing category pages uh, that are high quality. And uh, we often send people to that. So uh, I would encourage everybody to read what Cyrus has written on uh, keyword research. Another thing, too, in our newsletter every week, we uh, do recommended reading. And if you are a free uh, subscriber to newsletter, you still get the recommended reading. If you're a paid or premium uh, subscriber, then uh, my team actually spends time summarizing these articles so that you don't have to spend time reading them. And uh, one of my favorite ones this week was an article on using structured data, not going to say data, (laughs) to support EAT. And that was written by Lily Ray. Um, And there's really, really good information here. It's important to know that structured data is not going to Uh, directly give you a ranking boost, uh, but it can help Google to better understand your pages, your site, your authors. Um, Here's, I'm going to read a couple of quotes from this article. Without confidence about what entities are included on a page, it can be challenging at best for search engines to accurately assess the expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness of those entities. Um, I'm actually going to talk about this in in our Q&A section in just a minute. Um, We've got uh, a question and I think it's challenging for Google to determine who the author of this particular post I'm going to talk about is. And that's something where adding schema could could really, really help with that. Uh, and Lily also said in the post that while structured data itself is not a direct ranking factor, Google consistently recommends adopting its usage and using as much of it as possible to help the search engine make sense of your site. So um, this is something that we don't do a great job of on our own site, although we have a new site coming and that's something that we're going to be spending a lot of time on is uh, properly implementing our own structured data. Uh, uh, We've got a lot of really exciting stuff coming up. So I will share with you what I can on our challenges with that and uh, whether we've seen improvements as a result. Let's uh, finish off with this really interesting question in uh, Q&A. If you're new to podcast, I try to answer user questions as much as I can um, with each podcast episode. And you can submit your question by going to our newsletter, any of the episodes, uh, mariehaines.com slash newsletter. And near the top, there's a form that you can fill out to ask me a question. I can't guarantee that I'll answer everybody's question, but uh, but I, I, I like to do this because often um, the questions that people ask are questions that, uh, you know, most of us have. So it's really helpful for me to answer these because, uh, because I think it helps a lot of other people as well. So Stephen asked me this. I run a sightseeing company with a relatively strong website. 
I've noticed recently that many tour resellers such as uh, Viator, TripAdvisor, and Get Your Guide have moved up in rankings for keyword phrases, despite these pages being pretty thin sales pages. And he gives an example of um, uh, if you do a search for Harry Potter walking tour London, which is kind of a cool thing that you can uh, you can do a walking tour. I was looking into it now here that you can do uh, either like a self-guided walking tour uh, where you get audio cues about like what's uh, you know, what was in Harry Potter in the movie and the book and whatnot. Um, or you can do paid tours with guides. And uh, that's kind of cool. Last time I was in the UK, uh, I found myself at uh, King's Cross. And uh, even though I'm not a massive Harry Potter fan, um, uh, I, I respect that uh, it had a huge impact on so many people, right? Uh, I mean, so many people, that was their childhood uh, um, understanding and reading this book. And so uh, I, I, th I thought it was really, really cool to um, what you can see that actually exists in the real world uh, that is in this book. I know that makes no sense, but I think I know you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so, uh, so yes, yeah, so Stephen was asking, there's this uh, site called Get Your Guide. And then Stephen's site is Free Tours by Foot. And, um, and he has given permission for me to, to share his, uh, his name and, and this information. So uh, I, I say that just because if, if you're thinking of submitting a question um, and you don't want us to share your name or your site, then I'm, I'm happy to do that as well. Uh, so he says, um, my question is whether or not websites like Get Your Guide that have loads of affiliate links pointing to them, many of which are still followed, get ranking boosts. Sometimes it seems this is the case and it seems unfair to say the least. Uh, okay, so I actually spent a bit of time uh, looking at these two pages. I can't always do that, but uh, I, I love I love looking at the question of why is this site outranking me? Um, and then giving my thoughts based on what we know Google uh, seems to reward in terms of quality. So. Regarding affiliate links, I actually didn't look at the link profile of, of this site. I know what you're talking about. I think your own site has affiliate links that point to get your guide. Um, no followed, though, the ones that I saw, which which makes sense. Um, Matt Cutts years ago actually said that Google is really good at recognizing when a link is an affiliate link. And I mean, it's not. It would be if you had to write code to say, is this an affiliate link? And I gave you, you know, 10 different types of affiliate links. It's pretty easy to determine that, oh, when it says question mark ref equals this site, like it's an affiliate link or AF ID equals this. I, I think Google's pretty good at determining, oh, okay, this is an affiliate link and it's not necessarily a recommendation of this site or of their content. So personally, I think Google does a very good job of ignoring affiliate links. The other thing that makes me say this is that in doing, in years and years of doing penalty cases, uh, I don't believe I've ever gotten an example link from Google that was an affiliate link. Now, I remember when I first started uh, with an affiliate program for one of my early websites, I used some software that allowed me to create my own affiliate links. And you could create these affiliate links that uh, people could embed into their website, and they were very keyword anchored. In fact, um, the article or the the tool that I used actually allowed you to like rotate the anchor text, meaning that uh, you could say, "Look, here's the 15 keywords that I want this page to rank for," and depending on um, 
Like if you said, oh, I want the embed code to uh, uh, for this affiliate link, then it would randomly insert one of the 15 keywords as anchor text. If you're seeing stuff like that, that's unnatural, you know, and when I did it, that was back in the day before, uh, you know, when that type of thing actually worked really well. And I'm saying that was quite a long time ago, like 10 years ago. So um, I don't think that's what's happening here. And I think in this day and age, uh, that type of link, Google potentially would would just discount anyways. So, so I don't think that they're outranking you because of links, because of the affiliate links, I should say. Um, but let's look at the, the page. Now, I know this is hard for those of you who are listening to the podcast and can't see both pages in front of you. Um, but if you do a search again for, uh, what was the phrase now? Harry Potter Walking Tour London. And what we're comparing here is Get Your Guide, which is uh, the first result. And the second result uh, is Free Tours by Foot, which is the is Stephen's site. So the first thing I noticed on Stephen's site is, uh, Stephen, there's, there's very little EAT related information above the fold on your site. So when I go there, I see, okay, there's some information on walking tours in London, but I had to read quite a bit before, and I'm still not clear whether you sell the tours or whether um, this is just like, all right, here's your uh, uh, audio tour that you can play while you walk. Like it was very unclear what I'm getting. Now, I think if I spent more time and I looked at your about page and your, you know, rest of your website, I would, that would probably become more clear to me. But if you think how we search, if I'm a user and I can click on, you know, your page or get your guides page, and I'm not going to read your entire website to figure out uh, what it is that you're offering. I just want to really quickly go, is this what I'm looking for? Because most people who come to your website, they already know that they want uh, they want a tour of London that is you know connected to Harry Potter, um, and so I think it just needs to be more clear. Uh, let, let me explain here what I mean by EAT related information. I'd love to see something above the fold that says we offer uh, you know either free do-it-yourself guided tours or paid tours. We've been doing this for X number of years. We have this many guides. We've received these awards. And here's why you should uh, trust us to be your tour guide, something like that. Because the way it looks right now, first of all, I think your site looks good, um, but it looks like a, a blog as opposed to get your guide looks like an organization, an authoritative organization uh, that, you know, has their own shopping cart and um, I, I, they just look more professional. And that's not to say that's not necessarily a negative. You know, you, you can still do well, um, but I think it's just unclear to users. Uh, whereas on Get Your Guide, even though there's not as much information, if I'm looking to get a tour in uh, in this manner, it's very clear. They have a very clear call to action. Uh, you know, book this now, and I, I would recommend that you add a call to action above the fold as well. Um, I also noticed on your page that you do have some affiliate links that aren't marked as affiliate links, and we've talked about that for uh, for a few months now. The January core update affected a lot of sites that seem to have this issue. Now you've got a disclosure. Um, at the end of your content or down near the bottom of your content uh, that says 
that the the post contains affiliate links uh but this is probably not enough in google's eyes uh nobody knows for certain whether this is an issue but it is something that we noticed uh happened with a lot of sites that saw drops and i don't know if your site saw drops uh, in january i didn't check that but um um, I would highly recommend that you uh, maybe put that disclosure either near the top of the post somewhere or at least put an asterisk or something on your affiliate links uh, or, you know, just something to make it more clear that you're linking out um, with an affiliate link. If you read my article on the January core update, there's much more information on that. The other thing that I thought that Get Your Guide did better was their information is broken up into easy to digest chunks. Your content is you have by far more content is really really good i actually now this is a decision that you would need much more investigation to uh to make this decision so don't do it based just on this on my quick you know i spent maybe 10 minutes analyzing your site um but i think a lot of your content could actually be divided into separate pages uh, I think uh, a page for how to do your own walking tour with your, um, you know, your uh, audio guide is one thing. And then having uh, guided tours could be another page. But that's something that you might want to look into is is dividing up. It's just a lot of information for people to digest all at once, which can be OK. Sometimes people want that type of information, but somebody who's looking to book a tour may not. I could be wrong on that, but they may not. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was EAT. And um, now keep in mind that when my team and I do research for our clients in terms of uh, do you have EAT as compared to your competitors and what could you do to improve your EAT? This is a process that takes us several days, even up to a week to complete. So I'm just going to give you a couple of quick observations. And again, I could be wrong on some of these because I did not spend a crazy amount of time on this. Um, one of the things that we do is look at brand authority and Google, this is definitely a YMYL topic because people are going to part with money, uh, to do this tour. So it's YMYL and that means that EAT is important. And when a topic is YMYL, it means that Google wants to prefer the most authoritative website. It's not the only ranking factor. I mean, you could say, but wait, this site's outranking this large authority. Why? You're wrong. And it's just one uh, component of the decisions that they're making uh, that you have a much better advantage if you're seen as a higher authority. So just very, very quickly, I did a search on Google News for their brand versus yours, and I see over 700 mentions of Get Your Guide, and I see about 150 of your website. So that is something that I would work on. You know, it's very hard to say, just become more authoritative than this massive website. I don't expect that you can do that. It looks like they have millions of dollars of funding and, and whatnot. Um, but you can still get mentioned in authoritative places. And, uh, you know, that that's a whole topic that I could probably talk on for several uh, uh, podcast episodes on how to do that. But really PR, um, just doing amazing things that actually get journalists wanting to talk about you. Those are the types of things. And you, you've got mentions. So I would say, look at what um, uh, is currently working well for you and try to do more of that. The other thing is your authors. Now, you could argue that get your guide the the post that's ranking number well doesn't have an author um and on your page you have an author but just a first name uh, i believe it's margaret i could be wrong on that um that's going to make it really hard for google to determine whether your author is authoritative now get your guide uh you know should they have an author 
probably, but um, they may be big enough in terms of brand authority that Google is just saying, look, their brand is massive. And so everything they produce, we're going to count as uh, coming from their brand. For you, I think there's a real opportunity here to actually boost up the EAT of your authors. Um, I would encourage you to try to get your authors to use their full name. Uh, I know, I understand the reasons for anonymity. The Quality Raiders Guidelines actually talk about anonymity, that it, it is important for some websites, but in the vast majority of cases, if Google can't determine who's written the content and whether they're authoritative enough to do it, then they'll just treat it as lower quality. Now, I don't think that's happening in your case because you're ranking number two. I mean, that's 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 quite good. But I would work on ways to improve the EAT for Margaret and also uh, the other um, authors that uh, uh, that you have on your website. And that would be getting them mentioned in authoritative places uh, is, is the you know, a place to start with that. Um, so, you know. Hopefully, hopefully that helps. I, I know I kind of didn't really fully answer your question. Are they outranking you because of the power of affiliate links? I would say no. I think they're outranking you because they're a higher authority. Their website is um, providing a better answer for people who just quickly want to book a ticket. Uh, and um, and your, it's not to say that your website is bad. You're doing a lot of things great, but I think there's uh, still room for improvement. And I do think it's possible that you could outrank them if you can find ways to make it so that users actually prefer your content. And I think it would really come down mostly to reorganizing how the page is structured uh, so that it's easier for people to skim through it and um, determine uh, quickly, do I want to book this company or should I go looking for somebody else? So hopefully that helps. That was kind of a long uh, answer to that. But and this is something that, you know, if, if you found this interesting uh, as a, a, a listener uh, and you'd like me to do this for one of your competitors, I could probably do that. Um, you know, you can, again, fill out the Q&A form uh, on any of the pages from our newsletter. And uh, I enjoy doing this kind of stuff. Um, so. Uh, so, yeah, so feel free to ask me, why is this page outranking me? I can't promise that I'll give you an answer, but it's kind of fun to to look into that kind of thing. Um, I think we'll end it there. Uh, I would encourage you guys to listen in our newsletter. We have a link to a podcast episode that my one of my auditors, Callum Scott, did on Traject. And uh, he talks all about what life has been like at MHC in the midst of coronavirus and how we have handled uh, some some tough things that we've been dealing with. And so um, I think I thought that he did an excellent job. And uh, uh, I think that this is a podcast episode that would really help a lot of people. If you're interested in having a site review done, uh, we're still taking clients. We um, uh, have had a very long waiting list for quite some time now. And one of the good things about uh, business slowing down a little bit is we've been able to catch up a bit on our waiting list. So we do have some availability, although I think there's still just a little bit of a waiting list. Uh, you can reach out to us at help at mariehaines.com um, and or mariehaines.com slash contact. Uh, contact and that will reach you that'll put you in touch with one of my team auditors and uh, we can talk about whether a site review whether we'd have the potential to help your site to do better on google search so thanks so much for listening i hope you're doing all right i know a lot of people are really struggling out there and um it's okay <laughs> it's okay this is a really hard time and uh we are going to get through it so thanks again for listening and i wish you the best of luck with your rankings mm -hmm.